Hey there, my name is Vosh. I live stream on YouTube and Twitch, and sometimes I even upload the good bits. This is Previously Live. In 1953, chairman of the USSR Joseph Stalin died. In the following years, Nikita Khrushchev would eventually assume power, and in 1956 he shocked the world by denouncing Stalin in his so-called secret speech before the common- Dope, uh, dope graphic to begin with, by, by the way, just gotta say. Bad Mouse always has dope graphics in his video. ...and began a process of de-Stalinization across the Union. Later that year, the Hungarian People's Republic, a Warsaw Pact nation, was having some disagreements with Soviet influence. An uprising had begun, and under the leadership of ex-NK- Is he based or cringe? I have no idea. This guy's- <laughs> this guy's a tanky. Um, yeah, this- this guy's a tanky. The last two videos he made eight months ago were on me. He actually came out of retirement to make videos on me, basically. He had these videos from years ago, and then- Chernobyl YouTube poop. Why to drop off the earth? Old video playlist. And then two videos about me. Um, didn't you call him Tanky Sargon? I think so, right? This was the Tanky Sargon thing? Yeah. The real, the real problem is that, like, trying to argue against me is just a, just a bad... Oh, we, yeah, we got him on that one. I'm, I'm willing to bet maybe a fifth of these dislikes are coming from his community. Yeah, it's, see, it's, it's just, uh, it's just when, when you, um, when you take a shot at the king, you better not miss, you know? Simple as that. Anyway, I, I, I don't think this guy's stupid, though. I actually think this guy's pretty smart. I just don't know... I wish I had a better memory. That video was eight months ago, though. Well, let's see. Let's see. Any video can be good, you know? I'm not, I'm not prejudging. AVD officer Imre Naj, the Majars withdrew from the Warsaw Pact. As a result of this, Khrushchev retaliated by sending in forces, along with tanks, into Budapest to crush the rebellion. And after a few days of fighting, the Soviets established control, and Naj was eventually deposed. But in the West, many of the organized left were miffed. Such a brazen act of force so publicly displayed definitely caused some confusion in the established understandings that many socialists had. Oh, the coming no. months saw many splits across the continent, with those either supporting or opposing the Soviet line. The most notable of- I don't know if I would describe the military crushing of the independence movement as a visible display of a What did he say? That was a very minimal way of phrasing it. Which occurred in the OG Communist Party of Great Britain, of which reporter Peter Fryer, who had been in Budapest during the fighting, was barred Brodsky? and eventually kicked out for writing in opposition to the crackdown. In light of this event, and more prominently after the Prague Spring in 68, the supporters came to be known under the pejorative, tanky. Because, you know, tanks. Now that's the original meaning of the word. Importantly, it was Marxist-Leninists calling out other Marxist-Leninists. Now today, of course, that's not how the word is used. Today, it Well, yeah, today all Marxist-Leninists basically defend the, cr the crushing of the Hungary Revolution. So, so it's, it's, it's kind of a moot distinction these days, because nowadays, like, anyone who calls themselves an NML is pretty much, like, it fully in line with, like, insane USSR apologia tends to go by a variety of different definitions, and the line has also expanded to be used by a plethora of other left-wing groups, none of which ever tend to be ML. Now Thank that's God. fine. Lots of words have changed their meaning over time. 
and it's very understandable that a small, concise word would be used as a catch-all, rather than spending hours upon hours going into detail. The problem... By the way, right off the bat, what he said is incorrect. The idea that the only people who used the term tanky as a pejorative for USSR defenders were Marxist-Leninists at the beginning is not true. The, um, the, the schism um, that happened in the West after the, the, the crushing uh, the, the, in Hungary was significant enough that it led to condemnation of USSR apologists um, right. from many groups of lefties. Um, it, like, it wasn't just like an intra-ML thing. It was a broadly a broader leftist um, a, a bit of discourse there. Um, ...is that the word tanky hasn't just changed, it's become obtuse. It seems that a day doesn't go by where someone gets labelled a tanky for literally any purpose. Many times when the conversation in question has absolutely nothing to do with anything relevant. If I say the word dengist, you can probably ascertain to some extent what it means. Someone who supports China post-Deng's market reforms as a still socialist country or something thereof. There might be some margin for error, there might even be some fight back from some of those people. Still existing socialist state. And don't even get me started on real Dengism in China today. But nevertheless, in 2022, we can understand what is meant by that word as we use it. Tanky, on the other hand, is not quite as simple. You might begin by saying that Authoritarian USSR apologist, you know. It's if you support the invasion of Hungary. But like I said, unless it's specifically brought up in most conversations today, that is not what it's about. Back in my day, it was usually something about North Korea. As I've gotten older, discourse seems to have edged more and more towards the China angle. So sometimes you'll see these two words being used interchangeably. No. Whoa, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. No. People who would call Chinese apologists tankies would not call them dengists. The kind of people who would accuse them of being tankies aren't the kinds of people who would accuse them of being dengists. Dengism is an entirely interleft discourse term. Liberals are not out here parsing, like, dengist thought, okay? The tanky thing is a broader condemnation of authoritarian Marxist-Leninist types. Um, this is not used interchangeably. But yeah, the term tanky wasn't literally just a term for people who defend the 1956 smackdown of the Hungary. You know, it's a broader term about, like, authoritarian apologism for the USSR and for aligned countries broadly. I don't think that's, like, overly broad. Um, it does get overused. The term tanky does get overused. But, like, that doesn't mean it doesn't have uses, right? Like, lots of things get overused. No, I think it's fair to say that we're looking for something a bit more ideological rather than specific event. Others might argue that it's simply Marxist-Leninists. Yeah, but sure. apart from some die-hard anarchists... There's always one. <laughs> that's right. Many people will always be able to find some exception to someone for some reason. And the very origins of the term speak to an inherent differentiation within that group. At which point you just start quantifying it and it always gets messy. It's frankly even worse if we decide upon authoritarian socialists, which look even beyond on authority discord. Oh my fucking god! Of course, immediate the the fact that his immediate address of this is on authority bot tells you exactly where this guy's mind state is. Absolutely, I told you, dude. On authority is one of the worst pieces of leftist text ever produced. Um, did you know that um authoritarianism is good because like. Like, liberating the slaves would be authoritarian, because, like, you do things that other people, the slave owners, don't want to do. So, like, actually, authoritarianism is good, uh, or, like, it doesn't mean anything, or maybe it just happens, or, like, whatever, nothing means anything, you know, thank you.
octopus, which is a fucking bore, you can't just arbitrarily add authoritarian to any specific definition and think that you've made helpfulness. Right? What? If tanky is used as a, as a, a pejorative for authoritarian socialist, what that just... Authoritarian is an adjective. I don't know. What? Yeah, authoritarian capitalism is the thing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, what's the issue with this term? I like the word in question. It becomes vague and selective. Oh, this is like tanky. Um, this is like tanky bingo. Oh, really? The term authoritarianism is vague. Go on. <laughs> I swear to God, you see it all play out. Thousand times. Oh, really? You think the term authoritarianism is overused to the point of meaninglessness? The same way that white nationalists think the term racism is overused to the point of meaninglessness? Please, go on. I'm very interested in your point of view. I've always wondered why supporters or admirers of Tito's benevolent dictatorship often get a free pass. Next, we might say Western leftists who make apologisms for chauvinistic... I, I think that's fair, by the way. Um, people do engage in a little bit too much unironic Tito jerking, for my liking. Um, he was a piece of shit. He was just a very funny, um, very uh, competent piece of shit, and he did some interesting stuff. But he was still a piece of shit, you know. Interventions that are contrary to the Leninist principles of self-determination. This one is better, but it's too contentious. Many are going to be very opposed to the idea that Leninism ever truly supported self-determination, no matter what Lenin may have said. So what about communists who believe in using force to suppress other left beliefs that may threaten party hegemony? I always find arguments like this a bit, what? Some tendencies might state that they don't want to use force, and they will point to their historic record as proof of this, but that's more because historically they were never faced with that situation in the first place, not because of ideology. To think that Trotsky wouldn't have done many of the things that Stalin did had he been the coffin bearer seems quite strange. Ah, uh, see? Stalin's behavior was a historical inevitability. It wasn't that he was a, um, it wasn't that he was a monstrous dictator who did bad things. Just all of you, every, everyone would have done that, you know? Like, whatever. Like, yeah, it, had, it basically had to happen. That was Stalin's defense for his behavior. It is true Trotsky was also a monster. But the argument he's making right now is basically a way of depersonalizing, like, m like, hyper-authoritarian behavior. Like, oh yeah, it just, it just happens, you know? Um, again, like, it's, it's like a pejorative term to describe authoritarian a socialist. You, like, I, I, he's gone over a couple of acceptable definitions here, I think. ...great mannish, especially when you consider that many of Joe's ideas have their inception with Leon. Tanky is a leftist who supports the aesthetics of actually existing socialist countries. Um, well, yeah. That's true. Anybody who uses the term actually existing socialism uh, is a tanky and a fascist and can be ignored. And that's a little bit superficial, if you ask me. Tanky is a leftist who engages in right-wing talking points. Um, okay, right. Tanky is when you lie about- Good counter-argument. Bad mouse? That was a good mouse argument right there. ...about land back or deny anti-white racism. Nope. I have never heard tanky used to describe- Um, what's another definition for tanky? People who like charity and good things? Hmm. Then I guess I'm proud to be a tanky. What? what? This is 10,000% directed at you. Um, yeah, probably. I'm only paraphrasing, I'm afraid. That is something that I got accused of. This, to me, is the epitome of what I've been talking He's talking about me. ...talking about with tanky discourse in the modern day. It's confirmed to me how this superficial Venn association that we use has truly destroyed any chance of practical usage. But I will be fair.
The whole video is just definitions are fuzzy family references, which means you can't define tanky, so I win. Yeah, like, the what he's doing right now would apply to basically any term. Marxist-Leninist? There's blurry edges at the line of that term, too. Should that apply to everybody who's called themselves a Marxist-Leninist? Or everybody who studied under Leninism? Or only after Stalin officially synthesized the term? And it, uh, should it apply to Marxist-Leninist Maoists? Or is that a separate term? Can you call Marxist-Leninist Maoists Marxist-Leninist? Like, you could do this, you could do this, like, with anything. It's, you know, uh, it's, I don't... It would apply to fascists as well. Yes, and fascists do do this. Key is when you do apologia for nominally leftist, or at least self-proclaimed leftist, regimes. Now that one I think at least comes to some general gist of what people might be saying. Although- Wait, what? This one is punitively vague. Apologia for any regime that's nominally leftist? Apologia for their- for their what? For their genocides? For their tax plans? For their housing initiatives? Why is this one so vague? Oh, let's not lie around and ignore that some states certainly get more of a pass than others. That remains, it took so long to get here. More of a pass. Belarus, China, DPRK versus Vietnam, Venezuela, Cuba. I agree. I can't think of anything Belarus, China, and the DPRK have ever done wrong. Let's move on. ...than others. Belarus, by the way, nominally leftist. Just throw Russia up here, you know? That remains, it took so long to get here, and with so many different interpretations, I've often found people can say that this is the definition right now, but suddenly switch whenever it becomes convenient. And as a newer, younger generation of leftist sense of the fray, I've found that the word is evolving into a much more generic group signifier that pigeonholes people far more- That's cra- dude, that's crazy. <laughs> okay. Isn't it funny how everything he's doing right now, we've seen conservatives do with the term racism, right? Like, you have a term with a very broad definition that does get used in a lot of contexts, but still holds a lot of definitional utility, where rather than answering for or defending any specific set of concepts, he's rather trying to argue an implicit defense of those concepts by arguing the term used to name them is useless. Huh? If you can't defend the genocides, he thinks, maybe we can make people stop listening to people who use the terms that refer to people who defend genocides. ...than one of any actual substance. So much so that some people are- You're kind of reaching? <clears throat> no. This is really common. If you, if you were within arm's reach of this man, you could slap some sense into him in a second. Get a proper definition out of him. This, um, semantic, uh, uh, uh you know, um, d jerking off is done by people who are trying to delegitimize the terms that are used to name them for their bad behavior often shocked when they discover that someone with one view from the pie doesn't hold the rest of them. Yes, people aren't just one thing. Say what you want, that's not a good outlook. And it's not helpful to a good discussion either. No, no term that broadly describes a group can work because people within that group might not all literally share one brain, I guess. Oftentimes uh. it's simply used to shut people down, and you know it uh. be that for very understandable reasons, but- Term just used to shut people down. Dude, literally, this is one for one what I see from the fashy videos about how racism doesn't have a definition. Literally. You guys remember the shit from Crowder? It's like, uh, this, this term doesn't have a proper definition. It's just used to shut down discourse. It's a thought-terminating cliche. Panky is a code word for anti-socialism. Also, for the opposite. So, that's my general thesis. Colloquial or not, it's an overused word that hinders discussion because it's used so arbitrarily.
At least, that is probably where I would have stopped if you'd asked. Wait, really? At I wonder if the, I wonder if there'll be a follow through on that HelloFresh bit. At least, that is probably where I would have stopped if you'd asked me some years ago. Oh. However, I'd now like to ask, just because we can't quantifiably pinpoint Whoa. what a particular word is, even if the use of that word is detrimental, does that mean that such a thing doesn't exist? I don't think so. Well, hold, well, hold, okay, well, wait, wait, hold on. I resp I don't pre-watch, I respond to the video as I watch it. Go ahead. From my general experiences online, and especially now after recent events, I'd be dishonest if I said I hadn't seen a general average of sorts. After all, whilst these are all different definitions, they are all pointing towards some general thing. It would be uncharitable of me to ignore the phenomena completely, just because you couldn't come up with a firm definition, or due to the prevalence of unhinged takes. I'm sure that you right now could come up with a few words of your own that you could say very similar things for. It doesn't make us chuck out the baby with the bathwater. Any what? shop around on Twitter or Facebook, and you will find the nature of what people are referring to, and it's very easy to see why many people would appoint them this label. Oh, Jesus, get it away. To call huh? this behavior an online thing would be cutting it short. We all know the dumpster fire that was CBGBML, and fight racism, fight imperialism isn't far off this sort of thing either. I'm not firmly decided on what that thing is, but it's a good excuse for a video. And in my observations, it might well go further than you think. You too might harbor similar tendencies. So let's have a look. You might remember this- oh, hold, Well, hold, hold your gosh darn diggity darn horses, guys. I, I, I'm always here to be impressed. Yes, I am. Pardoner. Meme popping up from time to time on the internet. It's implying that if you call people tanky, then you're dissing the name of all these great many people who you would have also derided if you'd met them. Of course, if you were like me, you were probably raising a few eyebrows first time you saw it. We can remove some of these people immediately because, quite simply, they weren't even communists. Well, maybe Kwame Dure, but based off a few interviews I've seen of him, definitely not an ML. A lot of what connects these people is- The person who made this meme just, like, added black. <laughs> it's like, okay, they just start throwing together, like, non-white, like, left-leaning people together, and they're like, oh, these were all champions of the Soviet Union. It's a shitty meme, but let's see him break it down. Um, Bad Mouse almost certainly knows more about the history of um, Marxist-Leninism than I do. Largely association, not ideological determination. But amongst those who are, even if we were to consider all of these people to be the same, framing them in this way ignores many of the nuances for why we uphold these people in the first place. Firstly, it's ignoring the way in which time plays into people's understandings of events. W.E.B. Du Bois probably makes this list due to his eulogy to Stalin after he died. Now, does this make him as such? Well, I do have to say the obvious, but a page and a half eulogy for a guy who lived 95 years, founded the NAACP, and later became a communist in his very last days is quite a reach. But I would like to offer one bit more than that. What many forget is that Stalin hasn't always been viewed in the same way that we view him as today. Prior to Khrushchev's denouncement in 56, many on the left viewed him at least similar to how the average person views many contemporary figures, men of contrasts. Why else would he have had so many Western workers flocking over there during the nascent USSR? It this is, um, this is true. One of the reasons the, um, the crackdown on, um, on Hungary in 56 was such a big deal to Western leftists is because before then, a lot of people, first of all, a lot of the shit Stalin had done wasn't known, and also, 
the Soviet government had done a pretty effective job of propagandizing their terrible behavior is like, you know, a necessary component of defending the revolutionary state. Keep in mind the era back then. Like, it's not like there was any internet, right? Like, you get, like, newspaper shit. And in America, during the McCarthyist era, would you really trust any info coming out of, like, an American news publication? Like, think about it. Think about being a leftist in the 50s, and you know that over in the Soviet Union, there was a real leftist revolution that actually succeeded. And then, like, during the McCarthyist era, you, like, open up a newspaper, and it's like, Uncle Sam quakes in terror! You know, Soviet spies rub the nation! And you're reading this, and you're like, okay... And credit where credit's due. It's not like they didn't lie like crazy back then over here. So back then, like, there was a much more favorable attitude towards Stalin, um, I think. Keep in mind, even um, Camus, like, so this is this is what split Sartre and Camus. After uh, 56, um, Sartre continued to defend the Soviet Union, and Camus um, denounced it. Albert Camus, the philosopher. But, like, Camus... That's, uh, this guy. A cool philosopher. Um, this guy is, like, mega freedom-loving. Like, can, can people in chat confirm that Camus is, in fact, the most freedom-loving dude? He's very, very in love with freedom, right? Um, this guy was, a, like, basically a defender of the USSR and Stalin through, like, through 56. I mean, Stalin was dead by the time this guy denounced the Soviet Union. Like, anarchists like this guy. Just to keep in mind, like, things back then were not the way things are right now when it comes to understanding of Stalin. A lot of our understanding of Stalin has come from um, declassified information after the fall of the Soviet Union. It's one of the reasons I'm always willing to be, like, way more charitable to um, figures back in those days when it came to their perception of authoritarian leftists. It's only since then that opinion has altered across the entire political spectrum in light of modern data. To give a more understandable example, it's been said to me that opinion about Churchill prior to 1940 would have been largely negative due to his bad track record up to that point. But today, he's viewed by many Brits as the man who won the war as if an individual can win a war, but no matter, the legacy of World War II in the minds of the British made him an icon. It's clear then that Old Man Du Bois would have been viewing Stalin from a very different perspective, and perspective is everything. The other reason is that in addition to legacy playing a contemporary role then, it also plays a very different role today. Whether these figures were right or wrong, they ultimately stand as something far more than simply their individual views. They represent, for many, a time and place in history that is higher than them as people. Shea and Fidel were not great people because of their views on the Politburo. They were great people because they were Shea and fucking Fidel. They, along with their cadre, took Cuba for Christ's sake. They would not be so celebrated in history today if they had constantly failed miserably with nothing to show or learn from it. Shea, in particular, is a universal symbol of revolution. But even though that's more due to lax copyright, it speaks to Shea's character that he wasn't content to simply stop at Cuba, but went on to Central Africa and later Bolivia to continue the revolutionary struggle. It's the zeal, spirit, and determination. Guys, you can't soy it. Shea Guevara. It's Shea Guevara. Come on. Um. Yeah, so Shea and Castro were both um. mega cringe. Uh, obviously, in retrospect. But again, at the time, they were like active, successful revolutionaries, you know? Batista overthrown in, in, in Cuba, like he continued the work out there. It's 
so much shit, you know, it's, in retrospect, this is great man theory. No, no, it's just that, like, your perspective on people who later go on to do a lot of bad stuff really changes when you're only getting your news through newspapers, like, once a week, and they're active revolutionaries that, that are, like, literally winning, you know? Like, that, that, that will definitely affect your perspective, you know? Shay wasn't as cringe as Castro. They both had unique flavors of cringe. I'm not getting into all this. ...the people venerate him for. Nobody really cares about folkismo in this day and age, and neither do they his views on the Kremlin. If you want his views on that, then they're decidedly critical. Yes, even these guys were very capable of doing just that. The same goes for Huey and Hampton. Their life's work was actually engaging in-line struggle, and just to hammer this point home once more, look at how old they were when they took up their highest positions. I want that to be a sobering thought. These people's places in history is represented by just a few years after adolescence. I'm afraid to say that JuscheJoe97 on Twitter arguing about the nature of the Moscow trials just really doesn't compare. You are not the Black Panther Party, or the Red Brigades. Aww. You are not rough. You are not the Blekingada Gang. These people actually did stuff. They actually made history. I, I do think this is a critical argument. When I say tanky, I never mean Stalin, right? Like, for me, a tanky is a modern person now who defends those things. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, go into China or, and be like, oh, actually, all these CCP people are tankies. I refer to the apologists, you know? Um, I do think the context's a bit different when you're actually, like, people at the, at the levers of power or at the levers of history, especially back in the time. You know, obviously, the Black Panther Party is mega-based. I, you know, I was super into them, blah, blah, blah. Um, but when people are like, uh, you would have called Albert Einstein a tanky because he defended the USSR. Like, they're being dumb. And this is interesting. Even with the bias of modern eyes, one can't help but look around and find that orcs today of similar character are... pretty impotent. Apart from the occasional flag-waving demo here and there. It's all well and good harping on old names, but can you really say the same for the present? Of course, one could make the argument, well, this is an indictment of the left at large, but the point is, they're not you. They're not the same. I'm not saying that you literally have to rob a bank, this is not the 70s anymore, but the comparison is- The GigaChad argument is saying that trying to share an ideology with these people as an ML is like a white nationalist um, claiming that they built America because, like, white people did stuff. Which is a stupid claim on its own, but you know what I mean. Like, it's a, a person right now, right here, who's like, uh, you don't like what I've said? Well, you would've, you would've punched Mandela in the face. You know, it's like, okay, buddy. All right, yeah, sure. You're, you're right up here next. Is edifying nonetheless. Why are so many of these groups today so stagnant when their predecessors, even under duress, were making history? Also, no, seriously, why is Malcolm X here? It's been a fairly opportunistic trend in recent days to label Malcolm X a communist, even more strangely, a Marxist-Leninist. I've looked around at the evidence, and it's very scant to say the least. It's about as strong as saying that Orwell, Tolkien, or even Chris Hedges were all anarchists. Anarchists, that's the anarchist in me. Malcolm X described himself in 1950 while still locked up as a communist, but after that we don't really have any other mentions. It's safe to assume that he may have briefly gone communist, but then had second thoughts, bearing in mind that he had many more years left in prison and many more books left to read. Labeling him red based on a single letter when there were many years left of his life comes across as fairly opportunistic, as it also comes to contrast when he praises anti-communists like Oswald Spengler. 
and some throws to the fact that he met with Castro or that he praised the Cuban Revolution just come across as plain ignorant. Especially when you consider that their meeting happened prior to Castro even labeling himself a communist, and for the last time the Cuban Revolution was not communist, it was a national revolution. Was he an anti-capitalist? Was he some sort of socialist? I don't know. What we do know is that this level of recuperation is quite strange. When even George Michael had more evidence for dying a communist, it comes across as a bit, eh? Bit idle grabby? Why? Why is having all these people in your group so is- I don't disagree with what's being said here, by the way. Um, what he's saying here, I mean, he's essentially saying that this is like a really, really lazy attempt at legitimizing a, a modern term or ideology by roping in like as as many disparate threads as possible. I, I'm not like a huge expert on the histories of every single one of these people, so if he says anything historically inaccurate in the specifics, I might not be able to catch it. So I, I don't really know. Um, everything that he said, as far as I can tell, is accurate in terms of like the history stuff. And he's relying on that Vosh? Well, chat, if anyone here in chat says that there's something factually inaccurate that he claims about, uh, you know, any of this, then yeah, point it out. Essential to your beliefs. I've so far talked about Tanki as being a derivative of Marxism-Leninism, but you probably know by now that often such accusatories don't even belong there in the first place. There's nothing about being an upholder of democratic centralism that secures one's place as a Tanki. Discussion these days tends to be wrapped around one main principle, anti-Americanism. Now, well, at first you might say, well, of course, America bad. The issue comes when we use it for our ideological basis. By all means, down with the USA, let it burn, but you're- This is, off the bat, this is broadly true. Yeah, haven't I said this a million times? That a lot of tankies literally just America bad as their central ideology, so any other dictator or authoritarian government or genocide or massacre is totally acceptable as long as it spites America. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, I don't, I don't think that's the definition. There are plenty of non-tankies who make anti-Americanism like their central ideological tenant, um, like like Putin, for example. Um, a ton of Putin and like the the Kremlin's general p political um, strategizing has been about like positioning world politics against Americas. You know, like anti-Americanism is a core part of their geopolitical strategy. But I think it's like associated. Our opposition to America should always be firmly rooted in its actions and its history, <laughs> not create an almost transcendent animosity towards it that takes precedent over class struggle. Mm -hmm. The effect of this ideological standpoint is that you end up defending pretty much anything opposed to America. And don't eye roll me or say that I don't understand primary contradictions or what have you because you know that this happens. We need to recognize that capitalist states, like Russia, have the same interests as other world powers. The only main difference is that they're on the lesser team. There's certainly geopolitical complexity to it, I'm not going to get into that today, but the conclusion here is never to take their side, or say that you don't, but do it anyway. To do this leads people to make very ahistoric takes, from saying that Russians are a colonized indigenous group, claiming that certain genocides with much documentation never happened, or make it- Oh shit, he's on top of Chomsky on this one. Oh god. Chomsky's been taking nothing but L's the past year. Incredibly unnuanced presentations on figures like Saddam, Gaddafi, or Assad, simply because they are or were opposed to America. Now, there are of course people who use anti-American ideologues as an excuse to justify their chauvinistic behaviors. I've spoken about this before, they're Houston street fools, but it doesn't ignore that such a presence does exist. Remember old man DeVoys? Well, he's a very fine example of this. He believed that Japan was the antidote to white supremacy and the West at large. 
even considering the occupation of Manchuria to be a benevolent endeavor. Oh, no, 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 I no. I think you can find some modern parallels to that. Oh, no, no, of no, no. Of course, no. it does stand to reason that if you do believe all of this, then me saying this isn't going to... I didn't know he knew... I didn't know he thought that. That's, uh... Yeah, that's, uh... Should have left, left that take in the drafts, Umfi. Wait, what? He was saying that a good antidote to white supremacy worldwide was the Japanese occupation of Manchuria, which led to the deaths of millions and millions of people and raping and murdering of babies and a lot. It led to a lot. It, it, a lot of stuff happened. Um, it's easier to see bad takes in retrospect. No, 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 no. Not on the Japanese occupation of Manchuria, motherfucker. You could, you could be very in current spec on that one and see some problems. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm not giving him that one. Gonna change your views. You're just going to go, yeah, I do believe that. So what? I'm right. Quite like those fools I spoke about earlier, I found a growing tendency to adopt the word tanky, with many people often parading around the accusation as reinforcement that those around them are just deranged, and that tanky simply means you're right. And often sour uses of the word only further justify this adoption. If that is you, then I hope in the future you'll shake off some of that stoicism and arrogance. Let's just say that you're going to look mighty silly down the line. I'd argue that there are ways of going about this stuff. It's understandable to ask whether the Revolution of 56 would have accomplished its aims if it wouldn't have just fallen back into the bosom of the capitalist West. It's quite another thing entirely to make the egregious and utterly unfounded claim that fascists were the leaders of the revolt and that the invasion was to save Jews from pogroms. <laughs> some things never change, eh? There's something very convenient going on here. Yeah, this video is actually turning out to be kind of based, to be perfectly honest with you. Dude, well, shit. Yeah, I don't know. When we talk about a subject like the Soviet-Afghan war, the general narrative is that the PDPA government were the noble good guys, bringing in all those good reforms against the evil conservatives who were funded by the CIA. That the Soviets were in fact the saviors who were- I wonder if he's going to endorse NATO at the end. Like I would. Invited in to help them defend socialism against US-backed fascists. But when we take a narrative similar to this, we often miss out some very crucial nuance. The PDPA were never a popular group with mass support. We often hear again and again about the conservative backlash to them, but we never hear about the wealth of communist-aligned groups throughout the land with far greater support, such as the Eternal Flame, ALO, Sama, Rawa, to name it a few. All groups that the government went on to later crush and repress after seizing power. I do not understand how these videos have such high production quality. These videos have the production quality of, like, a PragerU video, but they're five times the length. Um... What channel is this? Um... Bad Mouse. It ignores the warring factions within the PDPA itself, which when you look into it creates almost, I'd argue, contradictory statements when it comes to defending the party. It presents the Mujahideen in a myopic and ahistoric lens as a monolithic Islamo-fascist entity, and it also ignores that the remaining progressive groups in Afghanistan to this day, including the Communist Party, revile the PDPA with a passion. It's not a coincidence many believe them to be communist in name only, with many of them joining the Taliban later on. But modern discussion tends to ignore all of this in favor of a much more streamlined approach. If America condemned it, then the other side must be good. Some even going as far as to condemn the popular grassroots groups for not falling in line, I guess. The defenses of all of these interventions is especially bizarre, seeing that they took place during the so-called revisionist period of the Soviet Union, when they were perfectly fine coexisting with capitalism and were no longer pursuing socialism in any meaningful manner. Okay. 
I don't think they ever were, but I'm on an agreement track here, so I'm just gonna... I think whatever the Soviet Union was, I think it got closer to socialism the further from Stalin it got, just because of how far they were to away to begin with. Why? Surely 30 years onwards, these are the topics that you should be most willing to criticize. Now, with all that being said, I'd like to now bring us back and say that for whatever problems do exist, and there are many, there are some undeniable points to be had surrounding this that are worth engaging in. There's a documentary that flew under the radar a few years back called The Propaganda Game. It's a North Korea doc, but it separates itself from the more bland and generic secret inside North Korea ones that you see everywhere these days. Instead, the team does what every good documentary should, provide some novelty. The film focuses much more on the topic and theme of propaganda, how it influences us, how none of us are immune no matter what country we may live in, and how difficult it is to discern troops from untruths because of it. It's a very confrontational doc, and it was a pretty influential piece of work for me as a new socialist at the time. At least it definitely toppled a few of my previously held ways of understanding things. Why do places like the DPRK get such a spotlight in the West as this Dr. Evil-style maniacal hellscape? But similar autocratic nations like Turkmenistan go radio silent. That's, that is a perfectly fair point. Turkmenistan is insane. I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it comes down to the, um, the nuclear fear-mongering that North Korea does. It, they also share a border with South Korea, which we kind of helped create during the Korean War. So, like, we were more involved in the circumstances that produced North Korea. Um, but in terms of, like, just how fucked the country is, Turkmenistan, I think, is, like, right up there, you know? Um, we definitely do overfixate on the DPRK because we get to point at it and go, like, see, look, this is what communism is. And it's an ideological framework that's, um, you know, desirable to us. You guys might note that over the past few decades, American media attention has never really been drawn towards fascism as a concept, right? Like, you have communist North Korea and Islamicist, you know, like Saddam Hussein, uh, ISIS, you know, like uh, the Taliban in Afghanistan, you know, uh, rarely is we'll do we sort of who. construct ideological opposition to fascism. In fact, we just, we don't really anymore. The media will prattle on and on and on about the harm of oligarchy, of communism, of Islamicism, of religious extremism. But can you guys remember a time when we had a multi-month media cycle about, like, some particular explicitly fascist government or group that we were attacking, referring to it as fascist and criticizing fascism? It's interesting how they'll call Saddam Hussein an authoritarian and not a fascist, but they'll call Kim Jong-il a communist rather than an authoritarian. You understand? I think that's a point worth pointing out. Well, the GOP characterized uh, Obama as Hitler. Okay, that's true. The Republicans have been consistent in their opposition to Obamaist fascism. Obamaist fascist Islamicism. There we go. What are the conditions that led North Korea to become how it is today anyway? What are the financial implications of some of the defectors? How can we use that to understand things a bit more clearly? Now over time, I've found that these are the questions and discussions that I would like to have. 
I think it's frankly the discussions that a lot of us would like to have more now than ever. They're just so much more meaty and productive. If you're turning away from these questions on the basis that they're tanky points, then you're buying into a terrible gambit, and you're going to look mighty silly down the line. Questions like that, I think, are a valuable piece of insight that can give us... So I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking those questions. It's just oftentimes people will ask those questions because it allows them to avoid other questions. So, for example, are there a lot of North Korean defectors who are paid to lie about their experiences in North Korea in order to fuel an ongoing propaganda war against North Korea? Yes. I'm pretty sure that's been proven. However, like, is what's going on in North Korea still fucking horrible? Yeah. So the problem is, like, if, if you're like, yeah, so North Korea is terrible, and someone's like, okay, then why is there this evidence that so-called defectors from North Korea have lied? Like, you're not just asking the question, you're also drawing attention away from another also very important question, you know? So it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with asking these questions, as long as they're not being used to deflect. Um... Yeah, exactly, Sucked on Life, right. It's not just the question, it's how the question is being used. What purpose does its um, deployment serve? ...grander examination into our own government's priorities. And at the very least, it's a whole lot better than Look at this person, they have no food. Many times leftists do fall into the trap of regurgitating neoliberal lies under the pretense of being anti-authoritarian. Whoa, 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 whoa. I assume that he threw up the uh, NATO star to showcase the anti-authoritarian label, uh, because NATO is our vanguard against authoritarianism and despots. I began writing this long before the contemporary conflict in Ukraine, and whilst of course I don't support Russian aggression by any means, and I do consider it the more pressing concern, principled leftists should not be so naive as to buy into Western narratives so jubilantly, and allow dis- Like, 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 like what? Which, which natives, uh, which natives, which, um, wait, what word did he say? Oh God, my brain just misfired. Eve is to buy into Western narratives so- Narratives, natives, narratives? Which narratives, bad mouse? Jubilantly, and allow discussion to favor a highly Pax Americana standpoint in response. It's a- It's, the problem with this framework, with, in the context of the Ukraine conflict, is that America's like, objectively the good guy here in a leftist context you know um in a you know in a world where ukraine remains independent and neoliberal or a, a puppet state of russia and fascist uh, the leftist preference is towards the former and russian uh, arms are being used to smash ukraine and american arms are being used to protect it in in this context we we're, we are occupying the moral high ground that's not to say that our intentions here are like purely noble. They're not. We're doing this for geopolitical reasons. But, you know, it's, it's, it's like, we're starting off from a good place, you know? And, and, and this particular, um, in this particular situation. A Western savior complex that needs removing from our collective consciousness. I found actually that since the intervention took place, there's been good space created for a re-examination of our modern geopolitical outlooks. I do welcome it because I feel it is a discussion worth there having. But much of the go. time when we have these conversations, the responses I find usually only ever tend to move in a weirdly fetishistic and dogmatic fealty. I like this cartoonist a lot, or Umfis. To the opposite, no matter what happens. Attitudes that you wouldn't find that uncommon from weebs. <laughs> Whilst you might find the propaganda game insightful, it's just as easy a fact that many will see Alejandro's points, be faced with an entourage of new perspectives, 
and come to the very simplistic conclusion of, well, DBRK good. When you've been on the left long enough, there's always the inclination to call for a new beginning with a fresh start that separates itself fervently from everything that came before, or just calls for a return to the beginning again with marks. I'm always a bit sceptical when things like this come up, because these calls for a new beginning are not quite as novel as you may believe. But I do get where the desire comes from. There's a certain Soviet sediment that's been depositing on our banks for a hundred years now. And after a while, it just- Isn't it fucking wild how leftism is doomed to failure because we're being dragged down to the void by the, um, by, by the, the chains of the past? How, how iron shackles connect us to dead men who sink? Like, it's, isn't it, isn't it wild? Like, it's like, it's, it's, we're, we're two decades into the 21st century. And people consider the Soviet Union to be like an icon of modern political advocacy and like a, a like a lesson to be to be pulled from, you know. De we we are in ch we are chained to millions of dead men, and they are sinking fast. Just gets grating seeing this slow build to old ways that really doesn't amount to much, like grand empires that suffer great defeat and withdraw into nostalgic narratives instead of looking towards future horizons. Yeah. Yet, at the same time, that very sediment can often be seen as evidence that we should return to it. Why not? It's right there. It's had the longest run. No. Like I said, to focus so no, much- No, 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 that's the wrong lesson to take. How, we're, we're looking at like a collage of failed socialist experiments. Why would we look at this and go like, yeah, there was never anything good. We- minor gains for massive losses. I don't think he's endorsing it. Is he not endorsing it? He- it's like he's- it's like he's advocating to swim down. Maybe- maybe he's gonna follow it up. Maybe- maybe this is like the first thing. Hold on. ...and can often be seen as evidence that we should return to it. Why not? Swim it's up! It's right there. Swim it's up. had the longest run. Swim up. Yeah. Swim up. Like I said, to focus so much on attributing all these attitudes solely to Marxist learners- Okay, yeah, he's describing attitudes held by the tankies. Okay, okay. When you pause and you start and you pause and you start, it can be difficult to follow the, 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 the syntax of a sentence. This is not an endorsement. Okay, thank God. This would be unfair and limiting. It's only a natural tendency to focus on the examples that verify our own existing beliefs. When it comes to reinterpreting events and taking on convenient narratives, I've seen plenty- Sorry, I'm looking at YouTube chat. No, Vosh, that's wrong. Ukraine is a right-wing capitalist war, and while NATO is on the right side in this one conflict, it's on the wrong side and plenty of others. Um, well, NATO is only officially- NATO's not even officially involved in this conflict, but like the, there's only been a couple of military actions NATO's actually directly participated in. Um, but all I said was that NATO's on the right on this one. It wasn't even a broad endorsement of NATO. I will broadly endorse NATO, um, but that's not what I was doing here. Yeah, I'm happy to. Can you really keep praising NATO as Turkey is about to invade Rojava again? I, I, I hope this point hasn't been lost to my audience, but NATO is a military alliance between a collection of states, every single one of which I hate. Do you think I like NATO? Yes. Ah, well. Plenty of demagogues under. Yes, you keep saying. Wait, are you guys being real, guys? The the NATO shit right now is because NATO, like as a broad geopolitical organization, exists to an overall benefit. The the shit that's happening right now with Turkey and Rojava would not not happen if NATO didn't exist. The reason I support NATO's existence is because its existence begets positive, um, oh, I'm a mole, look, I'm a little duder. NATO's existence um, produces positive outcomes and doesn't 
uh, 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 add negative outcomes that wouldn't have already existed. This is all your memeing coming back to bite you in the ass? Like, I would obviously prefer it if NATO was capable of keeping Turkey. Yes, it would. Turkey can only get away with this shit because of NATO. Wait, you seriously think that Turkey wouldn't be able to fuck with, like, the, the Rojava and, like, the lawless territories to its south if it weren't in NATO? Turkey could absolutely do that without Na without being a part of NATO. What what what's what's gonna what's gonna happen? Is fucking Assad going to invade Turkey? No, 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 no. Turkey could have kept doing this either way. Um, I don't I don't think that NATO is giving um. Turkey couldn't do shit when U.S. troops were there. Yeah, I think we should have kept troops there. But um, even if Turkey wasn't in NATO, they wouldn't have like risked war with the United States by invading Rojava while we had troops there. How about they commit war crimes? What about Lydia? Lydia? Lydia, oh Lydia, oh have you met Lydia? Lydia the happy lady. That Lydia? I'm confused, should I look NATO down? Wait, do you guys not remember the multiple debates that I had right after the fucking beginning of the Ukraine arc? Do you guys not remember my position? Okay, fine, one more time. Okay, so first of all, being for or against NATO makes you retard brain, okay? NATO is just a military alliance. As long as nation states exist, military alliances will be formed between those states in accordance with the geopolitical interests of those states. That's like a fact of life. You can't argue against that. You can argue against the policies of NATO or the number of people in NATO or like which countries are apart or whatever, but like you can't oppose the concept of military alliances. You might as well oppose like the uh, military alliances are a part of states existing at all. You know, like we're talking very theoretical post-state communist anarchist, like worldwide shit. And if you really want to go down that road, like then you oppose basically everything that exists and your commentary is worthless and I don't care about you. Congratulations. You're so socialist. Wow. You're against the, you're against all countries. Wow. That's, oh my God, that's so novel and brave of you. Let me throat your dick till you choke my fucking stomach with your cum. No, I don't care. You're boring. Um, I live in the real world, so in the real world that I actually exist in, we have countries, that's probably going to be the case for a while, and as long as we have countries, there will be military alliances. So, NATO. What does NATO allow for, and what does NATO um, prevent? What things happen because of NATO, and what things can't happen because of NATO? Well, here's the thing, guys. Most of the countries that are in NATO would have already been incredibly powerful, militarily advanced countries that can't be invaded without NATO. Every country that has nukes can't really be invaded to begin with. And many of the countries that are in NATO that don't have nukes aren't really in positions to have been invaded anyway, except for one particular group. What group of countries that are in NATO um, might have been invaded if they weren't in NATO? Eastern Europe. Latvia. Lithuania. Estonia. Poland, and if we lived in a different world, it would have been Ukraine, wouldn't it? Countries that used to be a part of the Soviet Union. Because Russia has demonstrated it is fully willing to just fucking conquer these countries, the existence of NATO allows for these people to be protected. Tens of millions of people protected from fascist invasion by Article 5. I think that's a good thing. And that's something that can only exist because they're a part of a military alliance that shields them through their allegiance with Western Europe and America, NATO. Uh, as for the bad things that NATO has produced, I think in most cases, 
the stuff that has happened because of NATO would have happened anyway, even if all of its constituent countries did not share a military alliance. Though I don't know why it wouldn't. NATO engages in offensive wars all the time. No, it doesn't, and you're stupid. You can look out uh, which uh, engagements it's been in. NATO has provided support for existing military engagements, and it's done special military operations that don't even constitute offensive war. Or do you think like the, the, the Yugoslav shit, like is that an offensive war, stopping a genocide? Um, are people conflating NATO with the IMF? No, people are conflating NATO with every country that's a part of NATO. They don't understand the difference. Um, they think that like, when, when they say abolish NATO, do they think Western Europe is going to sink to the sea? Countries in NATO do wars all the time? Yes, countries in NATO do plenty of military conflicts, but not because they're in NATO. America is perfectly capable of handling Iraq and Afghanistan with or without NATO. Do people really think that if it weren't for NATO, America wouldn't have gone into Afghanistan? I th I've seen people who actually argue this. They're like, oh, well, if we weren't to... Like, yeah, like, like America would have been afraid of going into Afghanistan if it weren't for um, NATO. In all likelihood, what happened in Yugoslavia and Libya probably would have happened too, even without NATO, because it was in the geopolitical interest of constituent countries within NATO to engage in this behavior anyway. So to put it another way, NATO, as an organization, does more good than harm, not because it's good morally, not because its constituent countries don't do bad things, but because there is a limited range of things which do and do not happen specifically because of NATO's existence, and within the good category, that involves the protection of tens of millions of innocents under Article 5 in former Soviet territory. And in the bad, you have arguable edge cases where NATO may or may not have had a deterministic role in Libyan involvement. That is the argument. It's also one in which I am objectively right. I have argued with many people on this. You are all wrong, and I am so sorry. So sorry. Think about it for a while, huh? Yeah, yeah? Well, well? Notice that people bring up the Iraq war in these convos about NATO, even though NATO wasn't involved. Yeah, because they don't really think of NATO. They just think of, like, when they hear NATO, they think the West. And when, so when I say NATO does more good than harm, they think... I'm saying, like, the West is a force for good broadly. But that's not what I'm saying. What are the comments like on the Badmos video? Uh, well, we haven't finished the video yet. Canada, the UK, France, Germany would not have been involved directly. They were only because of geopolitical... If you seriously think that, like, what happened in Afghanistan was, like, a NATO thing rather than an us thing, then you're delusional, okay? I don't... I, there's nothing that I can do to fix the way that your brain is wired, but people on the left think that, like, NATO is the vanguard of Western imperialism. It's not. In fact, it's borderline irrelevant. Western imperialism is done through the World Bank and the IMF. We force favorable economic conditions on developing countries and then invest heavily with our private enterprise in order to make these countries permanently dependent on Western involvement. That is how we do imperialism. Countries that are in NATO ask to be in NATO. This is not the vanguard of our imperialism. You can say that NATO is a vanguard of our geopolitical strategizing, but imperialism isn't just when two countries get along. If it was, then all geopolitics would be imperialism, which, I mean, if you want to use a definition that broad, I guess you can, but um, it's just, it's not. Lefties hyperfixate on NATO because they've been subjected to literal decades of Putin propaganda. That's it. If you have problems with NATO, that's fine. But this idea that NATO is like the evil vanguard of Western might 
is something that is pushed by Russia because Russia wants to disseminate hatred of NATO within NATO countries in order to get them to pull back to their post-Soviet uh, Union collapse borders so they can continue their invasion westward. Um, literally, that's it. If you guys want to find out where this like insane hyperfixation on NATO has come from, it is very clearly a product of like uh, Kremlin disinfo that has been disproportionately emphasizing um, its involvement. 